In your worship folders, uh, you have a, an insert, Every Life is God's Masterpiece, and today is when, it's not the official day, but it's the day when uh, churches all across the nation are uh, celebrating Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday. And most often we think about uh, abortion and life starting at conception when we think about Sanctity of Life. Uh, but. But we need to remember, and one thing that that video points out, is that all life is valuable to, to God, not, no matter the color of skin or where they were born or what socioeconomic position they're in or, uh, or their age. And it's important for us to be reminded that all people were created in the image of God. Uh, the unborn, the elderly, the, uh, the mentally challenged, um, the what we would call normal or average person, which I don't think really exists. Uh, we only seem normal because we know ourselves and people that look like us. Um, we're all quirky. We're all weird. Um, and, and we need to see each other as unique individuals created by God. And, and we, need to, uh, we need to pray, obviously, for organizations that, that live and breathe uh, the sanctity of life, no matter what age. I have an oldest daughter who, who is a social worker in a nursing home, and, and her heart beats for, for the elderly and those who can't care for themselves. And uh, my youngest daughter is a counselor in a high school, and her heart beats for, for students in, in her school that, um, that are struggling with life. And, uh, and so we need to be mindful and, and constantly in prayer for, for, for people. Uh, as, as we begin this morning, I, I, want, to, uh, I want to pray. But uh, as I get ready to pray, obviously, um, all of us know of people who are sick. All of us know of, of people who are, are really sick. Um, Dan Berkeley had a great uh, appointment, and they're doing some things to work on controlling his headaches. Um, they're going to try and do some things naturally before they delve into the chemical side of it. But um, he was pretty hopeful when I, when I talked to him. He still has really bad days and days where he struggles to even stand and do his job. So please continue to be praying for him. We have people recovering from uh, quadruple bypass surgery and, and valve replacements and and uh, Rick, I was talking to him. He has a good friend up in Rapid City whose dad uh, just had a valve replaced a couple weeks ago or months ago, and, and he's just not doing really well right now. Uh, and, and his son is very concerned for his dad's life. And uh, Rick said something, and, and I know that he doesn't really believe this, but it was his knee-jerk initial reaction was, there's a lot of hopelessness out there. We're going to hear today that that's really not true. Um, that is a mindset. And, and we need to remember this. The title of our sermon this morning is Standing on the Promises. And we need to do that. We need to stand on those promises. Because when we do, it gives us confidence. It, it doesn't make life easy. Uh, it doesn't take sadness away. It doesn't take hurt away. Uh, but... It gives us a solid place to stand, and that's important in our world today. It's important for the people around us to, to see that in other people, um, to see that there is hope, because there are people who think that life is just hopeless. Uh, one of those people, it was, uh, I saw it on Facebook last night. Uh, they used to live here. They don't anymore. James and Tara Rose, they live in Newcastle now. James is a highway patrolman up there. Uh, one of their daughters tried to take her own life a couple days ago, and uh, they had her in the hospital last night and were concerned about her kidneys functioning, and then this morning they life-flighted her to Denver, and they're, they're concerned about her heart, what, what she, ever she did is affecting her, um, her bodily system. So please pray for them. Pray that little Katie will, will see that there's hope in life. Um, that, that, that no, no, no human being should ever consider that decision, um, no matter what their age is. And, and we live in a world today where there are nations who say it's okay for you to decide to end your life. Uh, in fact, we'll help you do that. 
Uh, it's okay for you to decide to end somebody else's life. Um, whether they're elderly or they're unborn, um, it's okay to do that. In fact, we'll help you. And we need to pray against that. We need to stand against that. And, and for many of us, um, we don't have you know, our hands in the physical place where we're able to f- necessarily feel like we're doing much. But when you pray, that is a lot. And you need to see it as that. Um, when we stand in the gap for other people, on our knees or in a posture before the throne of grace, which we have given, been given full access to anywhere we are at, God moves, uh, no doubt in my mind. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, help us all to, to not only uh, mentally and willfully agree that all life is, uh, is created by you and is valued by you, but Father, help us in our actions and the things that we say and do every day. Uh, bear that out in, in the journeys of life that we find ourselves in. Um, I pray for these organizations that, that sometimes they work hard and they work hard and still people decide to end a pregnancy or, or people still take their own life. And, and Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give them uh, a sense of hope and mission as they continue to, to, to move forward in the mission that you've given them and, and that they would be strong in that. Help them not to be discouraged. Uh, I I pray that you would help them to celebrate uh, the victories. Lord, for all of us here in this room today, I know that there is something weighing heavy on our heart, uh, someone or a situation. And Lord Jesus, my prayer is that we would surrender that worry, that anxiety, that concern to you, that we would lay that down at your feet and trust you with it. And, and I pray that today you would help us to see, not, not only with our, 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 our minds, but with our hearts too, um, the promises and the importance to stand on the, the promises that you have given us. Uh, Father, help us to live faithfully like those who have gone before us. And, and in living faithfully to you today, may those who go after us also live faithfully. May we believe. May we trust. And may we hope in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, the first question that we answered or that I briefly went over was, what is hope? And uh, I want to focus a little bit more on that today. Because as I said last week, in our modern culture, we usually use the words hope and wish interchangeably. In fact, I struggle with that, uh, especially when I'm doing a series like I'm doing now. Because I say things like, I really hope the Bills win tonight. And, and yes, I do, but, but that lends the word hope to, to wishful thinking. Now, I have some confidence that that could happen tonight. Um, but I don't know for sure that that's going to happen tonight. Uh, I looked up the word hope in Webster's dictionary, and and here's how Webster uh, defines hope. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. See, even Webster says, it's kind of wishful thinking. Uh, and, And as the world thinks of the word hope, that's the way they use it. Um, I sure hope it rains. But that's not the hope that we talk of in Scripture. That's not the hope. When you see the word hope in the Bible, it doesn't mean wishful thinking. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, I'm not going to go into the the Greek and the, the Hebrew words, but as I read about those this week, those words contain within them a removal of doubt. It's not wishful. It's a sure thing. It's a confident understanding. It's a confident expectation of good things to come. It's an anchor that we cling to, but it can, it still can take on a vague understanding. If, if somebody says to you, well, why do you have hope? It can be like, well, I just do. So how can we answer that question for other people or even for ourselves when we struggle with that? I have hope in Christ. I'm sure of it, but what does that really mean? Mean. 
So this morning, I hope, right, to uh, add some depth to our understanding. Hope is rock solid. It is an anchor. And all those things, a rock solid foundation and anchor, are objective things. Uh, Because when it is objective, when our understanding of it is solid, we are able to stand on that thing when the pressures of the world come at us. We're able to tackle the struggles that we have every day. When we get a sense that a situation is hopeless, we, we reposition our thinking to the truth and to the promises of God so that we are reminded that this situation isn't really hopeless. Because we have battles every day to have peace and joy in our life, and, and we are able to fight and win those battles when we, we face the enemy on a consistent and daily basis. Uh, it's confident steadfastness is another way that you can think of it. Now, the book of Hebrews talks a lot about hope. Uh, hope and faith. One comment, commentator refers to the writer of Hebrews as the preacher. Um, he's preaching to an audience, and, and this morning he's preaching to us. Um, you see, we can praise or we can perish. Uh, we, can, we can surrender or we can struggle. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is at the center of the preacher's encouragement and reminder. For the first five chapters, in those five chapters, the book of Hebrews is presenting this peril, this Concern, this struggle that the people that he's preaching to are having, are having. You see, they are at risk of giving up on their faith. They are at risk of saying, ah, you know what? It's just too hard. I, I can't do this. And, and uh, the, the preacher reminds them that yes, yes, you can. Uh, So turn with me. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11 to start. Hebrews chapter 11. One of the verses in Hebrews in which we find the word hope is Hebrews 11 verse 1. And this is what the preacher says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain, certain of what we do not see. Man, it seems like every day there's something that happens in our life that's like that, isn't it? There's just something I can't see. I don't understand it, and because I don't understand it, um, I I might uh, conclude that it doesn't exist or that God doesn't care. Uh, There's so much that that we wonder about, and it often feels like we're wandering around in the dark. But that's the enemy talking. And when we wander around in the dark, what do we do as human beings? What does our mind do? We attempt to fill in those gaps. We attempt, attempt to answer those questions within ourselves within our own knowledge, within our own understanding. And, and really, we can't do that. We, we need to not do that. Because when we do, the enemy sways those thoughts, and they become hopeless. Yet there is so much light available to us. The most powerful of all lights that we saw from the Revelation passage last week. That will eventually, when Jesus returns, replace our sun as as powerful and warm and bright as it is. The Son of God will become the only light that we need. This verse at the beginning uh, of a chapter that focuses on our faith carries with it all of the confidence that comes with knowing for sure, with no question, what we have been promised by God in his word. Our faith is confident assurance, for it is founded on the rock-solid salvation that we receive in a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of the actions of the heroes of the faith recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 and so forth were made possible because they based their faith on the truth and the promises 
and the confident assurance of their hope in God. Now, they're listed in Hebrews not because they saw and then they believed. Many of them are listed in Hebrews because they didn't see, yet they believed. They were told something. They believed it. They lived their life as if that were true. Yet some of them died before they actually saw it. But God still did what he promised them he would do, and they're with him today because of it. That's the way we need to live our life. God said it. It's true. I may not be experiencing that today. In fact, I may be feeling quite the opposite of that promise and that truth today, but I'm going to continue to believe it and trust it because God said it. And God cannot lie. God will not. It, it, it is, he is incapable of it. Uh, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Continue to live in hope, the preacher says. Now, one thing that I said last week is that our hope is a future reality that is both desirable and sure for all who would seize it. For all who would take hold, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, that is the hope that we have. Abundant life in Christ is assured both now and for all eternity because that is true. We can live our life in peace, with joy, with encouragement, no matter what is happening on around us. It's not to deny those hard things. But it's to recognize in the midst of those hard things, there is something far greater than me or those things. When the world wants to press us and crush us and cause us to give up, we remember what the preacher reminds us. When, when the world seems to be turning into something that we don't want it to turn into, we need to remember in that moment the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that we have because we have been promised things and we need to stand on those things even as if they have already happened. Because if they don't in our lifetime, they will because God always does what he says he will do. Standing on the promises of God provides that hope. That is the solid anchor that we hold on to. Now, turn back or forward to Hebrews chapter 6. Be back, I guess. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, I want to begin in verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. I love that. Saying, and this is what God said, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. That's a direct quote from the book of Genesis. Verse 15, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So as a part of this tangible, objective hope that we have, first of all, we need to remember that we share in the same divine promise and oath as Abraham. God promised Abraham something. In fact, not just Abraham, but all of his descendants. And then, and then even further into history, we find that we as Gentiles are grafted in with all of those who received the promise that Abraham received. Um, it's repeated, this line of reasoning and encouragement, later in chapter 11 when he talks about Abraham's faith and hope. And I'm going to remember that or read that here in a second, and we'll, we'll look at that. But it's a reminder of the certainty of God's promises even when circumstances make it seem otherwise. God promised Abraham two things, that he would bless him and that he would have many, many descendants. And when that promise was made to both Abraham and Sarai at the time, they were old. In fact, they were past childbearing age. In fact, it was sort of unfortunately laughable at the time when God said this is what he was going to do. And there's a lot involved in all of that uh, journey that, uh, that, that 
Abram and Sarai, eventually Abraham and Sarah went through. But after years of waiting and wondering, and, and I want to add, even for a moment, taking matters into their own hands and, and not quite being as patient as they could have been, God did exactly what he said he would do. God said, I'm going to do this. Abraham and Sarah went, but our circumstances. It's impossible. It's hopeless for this to happen. But what should they have said? God promised it. So we just need to live our life. We need to continue the journey of our life as if this is true, because God said it's going to happen. Now, we all understand their doubt, right? I mean, because the reality of life, right? Well, the reality of life, is it, it doesn't exist in, in God's economy. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Uh, I, I was at Valley Christian this week, and, you know, we all read the Chronicles of Narnia and stuff and all those fantasy books and where animals talk, right? That doesn't happen in real life. But it did. In, in the Old Testament, God made a, made a donkey talk. That shouldn't happen, right? Uh, I'm... <laughs> I, I mean, the whole, the whole thing just cracks me up. Look, look it up. Read, read that, that story. Um, it, it, is, it is incredible because our God is incredible. Um, if he says he's going to do something, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time because he's going to do it. Um, we need to remember the hope that we have. Standing on the promises of God provides that hope. So God did exactly what he said he would do. He provided Abraham and Sarah with a son, Isaac. It took him a while, but he did it. In their old age. They didn't have, they didn't have you know, huge NICUs in that day. There's like a 95-year-old woman having a child out in a tent, and everybody's okay. God not only allowed her to bear a child, but give birth to it, and he protected Isaac's life. He did exactly what he said he would. Even though the circumstances seemed impossible, even though what the world knew, people that age don't have children, God said he would do it, and he did the promises of God. And I love the fact that God swears by himself. <laughs> there is no one greater to swear by than God, so God swears by himself. That just cracks me up. I, I mean, he's the greatest. There was no one greater to swear by. Uh, verse 16, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. If there was some way that I knew for sure 100% that the Bills were going to win tonight, I could say to people on Facebook, I hope, in the biblical sense, that the Bills, are gonna, that the bills win tonight, because they're going to. I want to say that, but I'm afraid to say that, because if they don't, then who I said that to is going to come back and rub it in my face. So I qualified that on Facebook when I said, I hope the Bills win, not in the biblical sense, but in the wishful thinking sense, because I don't know for sure. But when we're talking about God's promises, there is no argument it's an end to all argument because God, verse 17, wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He, so he confirmed it with an oath. We can always take God's word for it. End of argument. It's for sure. He does what he says he will do, and, and he said that he was going to save the world. Over and over and over again in the history of Israel, he said he was going to save the world. He said he was going to send a Savior. He said he was going to send a Messiah. Generations came. Generations went. They didn't see it. They believed God. They believed him. And it was counted unto them as righteousness because they were believing in something that God was going to do. And, and they were waiting. They were hoping it was going to happen in their, in their generation, but it didn't. Does that mean that God didn't fulfill his promise? No. Because God did. And we know he did because we have it in our history books. So we know that God always does what he promises. 
He promised Abraham that his descendants would be more than the stars in the sky, and they are. Um, We share in this promise that was confirmed by an oath. Prophets spoke of it many times throughout the history of Israel. The hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unclear and unknown. Romans 8, 24, and 25, Paul says this. For in this hope, we were saved. We were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has, what he already has? I mean, I... You know, it'd be like me saying, I I hope I have a 2011 Ford Fusion. You'd be like, what, you think maybe somebody stole it while you weren't home? Because you already own it, right? That's not what Paul's talking about. Who hopes for what he has already? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, then we wait for it patiently. But as we wait for it patiently, we know that in reality, we already have it. (laughs) It's going to happen. Because God always says what, always does what he promises. We don't see some things. But the things that we read that he promises, even if we haven't seen them yet, we can trust that they're going to happen. That gives us hope. The righteous who, who trust or put their hope in God will, help, will, um, will be helped, we read in Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. You know, it it is amazingly hopeful to think about hope all the time. I I went to a meeting this week, and and when I heard the person talking and sharing, my heart was just filled with hope and joy as I, I was listening to what they were saying because I was looking at it through the lens of God always does what he promises. And that changes when, when I put those lenses on and, and instead of the lenses that say, ah, I'm not sure if God can really, if he's really going to do what he said he's going to do. Doubt comes in then. There should be no doubt here. With our hope in God, we will not be confused or put to shame or disappointed. Isaiah 49, 23. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed if you put your hope in Jesus Christ. You you won't be. Uh, Al lost his mother just before uh, Christmas or just after Christmas. And and, uh, just every time I hear of somebody who was a Christ follower uh, entering eternity, I'm reminded by what my brother always says, and that's, and now they know. And now they know. And now they're experiencing in its full reality the hope that they lived their life in faithfully every day. They, they were, my dad was not disappointed when he took his last breath. Far from it. Uh, when we put our hope in God, we, have, we can have confidence that he will protect us. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. But wait a minute, we're not always protected in all situations, right? I mean, you look at the disciples and they, they, he didn't protect them. Well, God does what God's going to do. And when they died a martyr's death, they were not disappointed. They were right where God wanted them to be. They were doing what God wanted them to do. But what was important in that moment wasn't that they were physically protected, but they were in Christ. But they they maintained their faith to the very end. They held on to that anchor, that promise, that hope, and, and were free from fear and anxiety. Psalm 46, 2 and 3, Therefore we will not fear, Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, say, La. What promises, what hope? They, they bring peace to me. They bring joy to me. And as I remember them and I pray through them and receive them from my Lord and Savior. But, but then something happens, right? A car wreck, a tragedy, a financial burden, or a trial a broken relationship, and, and we begin to wonder if our circumstances don't ha- somehow change what God said. 
because I'm just not feeling it in this moment. But our emotions will always lead us astray if, if that's the only thing that we are listening to. I mean, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation like Abraham where, where you read something and you know God has promised it, but you're just not seeing it? And you wonder, is this really real? But here's the thing. There is thousands of years of history recorded in the Bible. We see it. It's supported by archaeology, by, by history, by non-biblical historians wrote about these things, wrote about these people, wrote about Jesus, wrote about the disciples. We know all of this stuff is real, that it happened, and we look and we see what God has done and did do and what he promised. We need to apply all of that knowledge to our existing situation. God did it then. But, but, we, but, but Satan always, always wants to lead us to believe, but yeah, yeah, he did it for them, but he wouldn't do it for me. I'm just not sure he would do it for me. Yes, he absolutely would do it for you. You were created in his image. He loves you. Jesus Christ died for the whole world, not just, you know, a select few. The Bible is very clear about that. So Abraham and Sarah have a son. They have Isaac. And, and I can imagine things were finally going the way God had promised. And then, and then what happens? God says something seriously incomprehensible. God says to Abraham, here's what I want you to do. In fact, um, in the midst of this crazy time for Abraham, he still experiences God's hope. So, so the second point is, uh, Abraham experienced hope. Okay, Abraham experienced hope. And this is how the preacher summarizes it in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, will come from. Wait a minute, God. You, you promised me this, and, then, and now you want me to kill him? That seriously would not compute with me. I mean, that, that would have to be, there would have to be no doubt in my mind that that was God speaking to me. And Abraham knew, and it was. So what does Abraham do? He rationalizes as best as he can in his own mind what God is going to do. And then he obeys what God commanded him to do. Um, Genesis, uh, Genesis 17, verse 19, we see a repetition of the promise that God had made, it, made to him. Um, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So, so the preacher is, is talking based on history and what happened in the book of Genesis. And then in Genesis chapter 22, if you want to flip there real quick, um, Genesis chapter 22, first book of the Bible, sometime later it says in verse 1, God tested Abraham. So if there was any question why the, the preacher in Hebrews is saying that God tested him, you know, maybe he was just guessing because sometimes it's like, so is God testing me here or, or what is going on? Sometimes I think he is. Sometimes I think it's the journey of life. So God says to him, Abraham, here, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. After months and months of deliberation, Abraham finally decided that that's what God... No, early the next morning, 
Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him of it. Could you imagine? On the third day, Abraham, every step he takes, he's thinking about what he's about to have to do because God commanded him to do it. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac, who is a smart egg, by the way, spoke up and said, father, yes, my son, we've got the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, I think he's probably just scared to death to tell Isaac the truth. And, and in reality, that's, he knows that that's kind of what's happening. So he does his best to, to put his son at ease. And in reality, in hindsight, that is exactly what God did, right? So when they reached the place God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out in him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself. Did you hear that? I'm guessing most of the kids at Valley Christian, this kind of went right over their heads. But in the situation, um, with the donkey, there was the angel of the Lord who stood in the way with his sword, and the donkey could see him. But, and for whatever reason, his name escapes me. Somebody help me. Huh? Balaam, thank you. Balaam couldn't see him, and Balaam's beating his donkey. Three times this happens. And finally, God opens the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey's like, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this? Have I ever done this to you before? Have I ever just wandered off and not obeyed you before? Don't you know that something is up? And Balaam blows me away, answers him and says, well, no. The, we, don't, we don't get any, anything, any other color to this story. I'm like, wouldn't he be like, holy smokes, a donkey donkey. But he answers this conversation with the donkey. And in the end of this situation, um, the angel of the Lord opens the eyes of Balaam so that he can see him, and Balaam immediately falls down on his knees. And something doesn't happen. If it was an angel, the angel would have said, I'm not God, get up, you don't worship me. That doesn't happen. You see, the angel of the Lord oftentimes in, old, in the Old Testament, is a theophany. It is Jesus Christ himself before he becomes incarnate as a man. I think that we see that right here, right? The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself. declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies and throughout your offspring and through your offspring, all nations, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. We can always stand on the promises of God. 
That's our anchor in the world that seems to be shifting as fast as 12 inches of snow on a windy Wyoming day. Our world is moving and falling apart. So do we throw up our hands and do we just in desperation say, no, we continue to hope. We continue to stand on the anchor that is our hope in the midst of all the chaos. Stand on the promises. Hebrews 6, 18, 19, and 20. God did this. You can flip back there. We're not going to go back to Genesis. Hebrews chapter 6, 18, 19, and 20. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, this mention of Melchizedek is a curious one. Um, Melchizedek's appearance in Scripture is very small. Only two places is Melchizedek mentioned. Here in Hebrews, and previously in an encounter that Abraham has with, with the actual Melchizedek. Okay, and, and commentators point out to two interesting things about Melchizedek. Okay, first of all, when we go back to the interaction with Abraham... Um, he is referred to as both priest and king. Melchizedek is. That's, that's totally contrary and abnormal, doesn't exist. You're either a priest with, with descendants, with descendants, and you descended from, from a priestly line, or you're a king, you're not both. Melchizedek was. And and it is obviously thought that Melchizedek was both because he was granted both by God. He was given that. He didn't do anything to get it. He didn't descend from a certain line. Uh, it wasn't passed down from his father. It was, it was given to him. And other than Melchizedek, Jesus Christ is the only one who was both. Priest, and king. And I think that knowing that information about Melchizedek brings clarity to what the writer, what the preacher is telling us here. Because that's exactly who Jesus is. He is our priest and he is our king. He rent the veil in two. He opened up the intersanctuary. He became the priest. See, before only once a year a priest could go in there. And, and actually commune with God and only under certain circumstances. Now, Jesus says we have full access, full access to him. We don't have to go through a priest. We go directly to the priest. Jesus, appointed by God, is God for the position, both, both priest and king. He is the one that we go to for the forgiveness of sin. He is the one that we go to for salvation. For all things... We are no longer separated from the, inner, from the inner room. Jesus is our mediator to God now, and we have been given access to him wherever we are. You see, that's part of the promises of God that we stand on every day. You start struggling in life, you start getting discouraged, you turn your face to the kingdom. You, you turn your face to Jesus Christ. And stand on the promise of the hope that you have put your faith and trust in him as your savior and one day you will be, you will know. You will know. I mean, this is a part of the promises of God that I'm standing on. I will never be separated from my savior, ever. He is with me wherever I go. He is my strength and my confidence. He is the anchor to which I hold on. My hope and trust and confidence is in him, and it, and it brings me joy and peace. It really does. Yes, hard things happen that I wish weren't a part of my life, but they are. 
that doesn't diminish the promise and it doesn't diminish the hope. Maybe it's a test, maybe not. Car trouble, financial trouble, health trouble, political trouble, moral trouble, these all exist in our culture. But they don't remove the hope. They don't break down the foundation that we stand on. They all exist, but my hope is in the creator and savior and rescuer of all things. So when you feel yourself getting discouraged, you stand in the hope. You grab that anchor. Actually, don't ever let go. Keep a hold of it. When you feel yourself being filled with anxiety, stand on the promises of God. When, when you have... Um, you have a high priest, you have a king, more powerful than any government, more powerful than any priest, human priest, believing that God always keeps his promises. Our confident assurance, our hope can be ours when we trust these words found in John chapter 6, verse 47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. You see, receiving the gift of eternal life from our Savior Jesus Christ means that, that we no longer have to be filled with doubt, but, but that we have then a sure foundation. The whole of God's word, absolutely all of God's character and the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to live on that every day. So we share in the same divine promise and oath as Abraham he experienced it and saw that, and we can look back and say, he went through that, he came that, he came through that okay, I can live my life in the same way. We all have people in our life where, where we can look at their life and say, man, yeah, he was faithful to the end. I, I want to be that way. I want to live that way. I want my life to be like that. Abraham experienced hope, and we do as well. And then finally, number three, as believers, we are called to bear witness to this hope. Some of that comes naturally. Some of that just occurs because we live our life with hope. Look up here at 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. It's in Jesus that we find protection and provision. It is in Jesus that our souls are saved. It is in Jesus that we have eternal life. It is in Jesus that we receive peace and joy and the same power that resurrected him from the dead. You don't have to spew all of that to somebody that asks you. All, all, all you have to do is honestly be honest. Um, Pastor Michael shared a couple days ago a, a, an, incident, an incident that he had at, at, I think it was Home Depot. He was standing in line and he has, he's got lots of cool t-shirts, you know, that one of them is, uh, it's like Coca-Cola, but it says, Jesus Christ, um, I don't remember enjoy life or something like that. I don't remember the exact slogan. But he was standing in line there and, and, and a guy standing in, their line, in line with him says, so why do you think that's true? And, and he answered him. You know, he said, well, because you know, Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and died and was crucified and he's living again today and I've put my faith and trust in him. And, and the guy was like, oh yeah, whatever, that's a bunch of crap. And, and the lady behind the counter is like offended by this guy, what he said, and she starts getting agitated. And Pastor Michael's like, he jumps right in there and he's like, hey, to this guy, he said, hey, is there anything I could pray for you about? And the guy's demeanor immediately changed and he goes, yeah. And he shares with him like for a minute or two and, and, and Michael's like, well, let me pray. And the guy's like, right here? And he's like, well, yeah. So they like step aside, Pastor Michael prays for him. Look, he didn't, uh, Pastor Michael knows plenty, Hebrew, Greek, all of that stuff. He didn't need any of it. He just needed to respond to a moment that the Spirit gave him in love and gentleness and bear to the truth and the light that he has in his life to this guy. That's, that's what it means for us to stand on the shores and look for people that are lost just 
to be. I swear, um, this happens on a daily basis to Pastor Michael. Why? <laughs> a couple reasons. Number one, he's kind of looking for it intentionally. Number two, he's really good at it. And he's gotten that way over time. And I don't know, whatever, for, for whatever reason, people are just like, you know, their guarded drops when they're around him. You know, he was praying in a, Chrissy had a, a doctor's appointment last week in Denver, and he was praying, I hope it's okay, Pastor Michael, that I'm sharing all your stories. He was in the waiting room by himself, um, praying, and all of a sudden he feels his hand on his shoulder. And the guy's like, do you need help? What are you doing? And he's like, I'm just praying. And immediately the guy was like, man, I got some stuff would you pray for about? Seriously. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be the person that somebody else just out of the blue says, hey, tell me about your Jesus. Or I don't think that's real. What do you say about that? And in a loving way, you say, well, you just bear testimony to the fact that you're standing in the center of God's glory because Jesus Christ died for you. God will use you in the life of other people if you will stand on the promises in your own life so that it's transformed and they can see it. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the hope that we have. Uh, as we face whatever hardship that we might be facing in our life, we all do every day. Uh, God, I pray that you would, you would help us to see uh, people that ask questions and that, that you would help us to, to not be afraid of that, that we would just be truthful and honest about who you are to us and that, that it would be real, that it would be true. We are standing on your promises that we have hope, that we have anchored ourselves to you, that, that that hope that we have is an objective thing. It is something that we are sure and confident in. And, uh, as you say in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. You say the greatest of these is love. May we live that way in faith and hope and love and that other people may see that. Father, I... I just also want to continue to pray um, for people. Uh, just Liz Ryle and her family came to mind. Her dad passed away last week. And help us to, to encourage them and to pray for them. And his service was Saturday. And Lord, who knows what's going to happen this week? We don't. But help us to stand in faith and hope in, in the face of things that we don't know about. So that when they do come, we can say, yeah, yeah, that's hard and that thing is happening, but Jesus is here with me. Um, I can stand strong because of that in Jesus' name. Amen.